You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, Alex. Hey, Nick. Uh, I have a question for you, man. Yes. If you needed headshots for your profession. Which I don't. Which you don't. You don't. Nobody needs to know what you look like. For someone who I consider such a close friend, I would rather not have a visual of their face. You know, but yeah, you don't have any... But, but it's, if, you, if you were one of those people, one of those uh, thespians who needed headshots, would you go get a headshot? And, and like, and consider you're in New York, okay? So numbers are low. It seems like the person who is doing the shoot has taking precautions. Would you go get these headshots now? Okay, I need a clarifying question. Yeah. I, I do have Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can confirm that you already have an ungodly number of headshots. I do, I do. I think that I need to get more especially as i try more and more for film tv those headshots are very generic nick and that's kind of one of the sucky things about our industry is that like you actually the more that you can suggest like like for me to send in those headshots that i have and be like hey see me for a firefighter or see me for a lawyer when i'm dressed in like generic henley shirt and vest but i'm also like hey there's a pandemic here is a reality uh that i have gleaned from all the classic actors of Hollywood past. Yeah. And that is, you can't be in a movie if you're dead. Little Justin, little Justin, little Justin. Fuck yeah. So Nick, yes. so between the cold open and right now, you've just laid several personal problems on me that we won't include, yeah, but yeah, we'll yeah. acknowledge that they've been there. Um, could it could it be that you're you're alone right now that that Alex, you're starting your life without your your wife around? It could. It could. <laughs> first of <laughs> do all, you just, do you just need someone to like vent to? Is this I'm, I'm here to host a podcast with you? First of all, welcome to I'm your sensei. Welcome you know? to Little Fucking Justice. First of all, <laughs> our our podcast. I'm trying not to swear, Mr. Smolo. I'm trying not to swear. Welcome to Little Justice. Yes, Alex, I am alone. My <laughs> wife has left me. And there's several things, you know, what you guys missed in the in the in the the cut scene um, between the cold open and now is that I, I, as Alex said, I did lay several issues at his feet that I'm experiencing, which I'm I'm happy as a friend to. I just feel like that's a, a pretty good a pretty good segue it's given a today's great theme. segue um, in today's theme, you know, and also mental health check, you know, how you doing, dude? It's I will say this, like I what I what I will say is like part of. You know, so for those of you who don't know, my wife left for grad school, uh, you know, this, a couple of weeks ago. And so I've been alone now two weeks. Not as I mean, having the cat here is really helpful. And like that makes things better. Um, I've been making a point of like going to see friends and, you know, socially distance going to see friends. So like, you know, staying six feet apart, keeping masks on. Um, I've saw, I've, you know, had one or two hangout sessions, but mostly, you know, 90 percent of the time I'm in this house. It's definitely a little, you know, it's wearing on my mind a little bit. Absolutely. I think, mm -hmm. but like, but then I also think about people who have done this for four months now and I'm like, good Lord, y'all like, God bless you, man. Cause this it's has been a grind. This yeah. is real. I, I realize like, I don't really leave the, I go grocery shopping and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. I've just gotten so used to it at this point. It's, you know, it's insane, but that's what pisses me off because that's us. But then you go across the pond and I, I keep saying this, you go right across the pond and people are like out and living their lives. Well, yeah. Cause they're handling it properly. They yeah. did their legwork. Oh my God. We, we've got half the population thinking that masks are some kind of like Illuminati ploy to get people to do, I don't know what live. Yeah. 
hydroxychloroquine and all that bull. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm constantly befuddled by the state of our of our nation and our nation's minds right now. Like everybody, how we get to this point, you know? No, true. Like everybody lives in this little techno bubble. They're just on their phone and and watching, you know, the news, which is being catered to you know, these, these kind of, I'll call them weak minds. Yeah. You know, I would, I would choose my words more carefully, but like, let's pass that point. These are, these are weak minded people. Uh, well, I will. And here's what I will say. I will say that I understand. I understand that we have a culture that has propagated this kind of thinking. So I, these are not, it's not like it is blameless, right? These, this is all, this is, you're not just the, the mountain that you're scaling is a mountain of like, people's understanding of what it means to be American that has been right. only buttressed by the past 80 to 100 to, to 400 years of history. So like, I get that. But at a certain point, your individual freedom is is irrelevant to the communal need. And I'm not well, saying- Well, the messages have got, yeah, the messages have gotten mixed. You know, the, the idea of patriotism and being an American has, has changed. Like, it's not about being an American because no. being an American- is you know at, at, is knowing the constitution and what your constitutional rights are and and seeing injustice when it happens and speaking out again like the country's born of violent conflict based on inequality and injustice like that's that's what America is but somehow the message has been skewed to be like if you <laughs> if you want any change at all you're you're a terrible person and un-American and that's it's and and it's crazy. it's also I mean it, you know for those people who are you know proud to call themselves nationalists I mean it's it's a it's a perversion of the actual definition of a nationalist which is somebody who you know if you were a nationalist you would be supporting the country's interest right like that's <laughs> that's the irony like you actually aren't an ad, like if you're doing this you are they're nationalists for for a confederate nation that doesn't exist anymore exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm saying and literally and like and again granted a nation that we did nothing to supplement once we obliterated right do you know what I mean so like there is so much history wrapped up in this but all that to say uh it comes down to this whole thing of like you know i'm stuck wondering if it's safe for me to go get new headshots which i potentially need for my career like right and that's again that is a minuscule choice but like that is not a choice that should be stressing me out right now do you but mean, like, every single person has a choice like that yeah or several choices like that almost every day every day like now that that proliferates out into the universe and like if everybody is having to make weird little sacrifices like that and some people aren't yeah. and exacerbating the problem by ignoring it or getting angry about it or being scared of it um it, yeah we're we're living in very interesting times very, very interesting, interesting but times, we're, but indeed. you know what but we're, we're living and if you're hearing this podcast that means you're breathing and you got choices and you got options i hope listen i hope you're breathing i hope you're breathing too and and i hope and i and i i say that sincerely i hope you are finding time to breathe because mm-hmm. that is so important and, uh, you know, and, and that it's also so valuable. But in answer to your question, and back to the theme of today, which is, of course, we are talking about movies. Uh, I was, how would you call this? I mean, specifically for me, I would say the movies that keep my sanity in line. I, my wife I, had an, left me. I had an idea for the title. And, <laughs> What's the and title? Feel, feel free to reject it. But uh, the title can be When the Wife is Away, This Movie Will Play. <laughs> that's good that's good <laughs> and it's so funny so the kinds i have to tell you guys when we originally thought of this or when alex brought this title to me like i immediately i was like yes but I, then i it took us a second to realize that we had two very different understandings of what very different meant. ideas yeah like there was one really skeezy understanding of it which was like 
oh uh, yeah what are the movies you watch when your wife's the gone wife's gone like yeah. oh what can we watch now that she would never let us watch and and but my understanding of it was like oh my wife is gone <laughs> what, is the, <laughs> what is the movie that makes me feel better about like which i like a lot more yeah than it's a much <laughs> i just want to make clear that is what we're talking about here we're not talking about the other thing we're not about to go into like you know this is a yeah this is a feel good episode not like a, not like a porn you know, turn off the lights and pour a wine episode yeah like not like a porn feel good but like an actual feel good no, so we'll get we'll get to a porn episode. oh we should absolutely get to a porn episode I would love doing a porn episode on this I think I think that would be a great those porn movies some of them are just hysterical they're pretty pretty blatant, they're, pretty blatant. I, I would blatant is like is definitely a word for it, you know, but yeah. So, so the best movie, you know, when you're, when you're at home alone during quarantine, and this, this applies to anyone who is experiencing this, this lonely time during quarantine, you know, what is that movie that you watch that is either cathartic for you or just makes you, you know, get, get the, get those cries well, out. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you. So like yeah. when you think of a movie like that, it, what, what's your goal with this movie is, is it to try to get rid of the loneliness? Is it to try to understand the loneliness and like kind of wallow in it a little bit? Like what is, what is the headspace you're trying to get into? See, this is where I'm different. This is where me and my wife differ. I think that where her mind often goes, I think she absolutely loves a good cathartic movie. And PS, if you hear like grinding in the background, like just know that like, they're they are building a got, orthodontist well, this, yeah i'm in an orthodontist office no they're building a goddamn like where they built a cube smart across from my home and now they are inputting i think it's some sort of parking structure i don't know what it is but there's a lot of tin roofing happening there's like a lot of drilling um you know so it's it's kind of bull uh but just know that know that that's what that is um but uh on top of that um all this to say I, I think Sarah, Sarah, if you were to ask her, she definitely has movies that like are cathartic. Like sometimes when she's really stressed, she just wants to watch like a good horror movie and just like scream it out and laugh it out and all that stuff. But I also think as this quarantine went deeper, I think that she found herself in a place of like, I, you know, wanting to, or needing to watch these movies that were just like kind and like made her feel good about life and all this stuff. I'm kind of in the middle. I want to see a character who I can relate to in the moment. That's, I think, what does, has always done something for me is like a character who's maybe feeling what I feel and whether or not they find a resolution to that. I think that just watching them experience it is helpful for me to get some sort of closure. Or so it's, it's related. I mean, do you, do you think part of that is not acting like they're there with you, but using that human presence like to, to. Yeah, I think. Well, because I mean, what is what is a good you know what is a good story? But a but a a a, right. a portal for us to like look at ourselves and be like, what would I have? What would I do in those situations? And sometimes you see somebody who's the best of you, and sometimes you see somebody who's the worst of you. And you know, it is what it is. But I just yeah, for me, I'm like I need to see someone in a similar position. Um, and that helps me. Is that the same? I mean, what are you on the same wavelength? Yeah, it's pretty similar to because I, I thought about it for a while and I had a couple choices picked out and I realized kind of, you know, I, I want to see. Yeah, I want to see somebody in the position I'm in and and kind of relate to it kind of, you know, not not specifically like somebody who's sitting at home while their wife is gone. Yeah, but somebody I, I, I was drawn towards movies about isolation and drawn towards movies about, you know, struggles with with the self and just being OK in empty space and, uh, you know, films that projected that out into something into into a set piece or you know a time period or something that that 
represents, you know, isolation, that represents loneliness, that, you know, kind of that hollow echo. How do you visualize the hollow echo of loneliness? You know? It's so like, funny because as, as you talk about this, I feel like there's a 90 or not even, I'd say 80% chance that we might have chosen the same film. Um, you think so? I think we might. I would be I would be I would be both very surprised and not really surprised, not surprised at all. At all. I, I mean, so let me ask you this. Do you think that there is an era of filmmaking that has captured this feeling better? Do you think that mod, like a lot of modern films deal with what you're describing? I think a lot of modern films that we've never seen probably do because I it, low budget filmmaking is ripe with this kind of stuff yes. because you need very few actors and very few set pieces, right? It's kind of a the challenge of with with no money, how do you make something? Um, and that's kind of how I made my feature back in the day. You know, it was like, we don't have a lot of money. We have one location. How do we do this? Yeah. <laughs> how do we just make something and, and then what comes out the other end? So I think a lot of low budget filmmaking, I mean, from from the 70s onward, there's not too much indie filmmaking going on before before then, or at least nothing that you know was super widespread. But I think you do see a lot of it, and 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 a lot of it always see. I see, I watch movies like this, and my first thought is like this should be on a stage, right? Like movies like this usually can end up on a stage. Also, it's so funny that you say that because I actually was thinking I was going through my head, racking my brain. You know, loneliness and longing are very hard. To, I was like, I was trying to think of like a Broadway play or a Broadway musical that I've seen that does that, that captures that essence. And there are Broadway, I think there's a lot of musicals that might flirt with that theme. Um, and please, by the way, if you have any Broadway musicals that you think flirt with this theme, tweet at us at little justice pod. Let us know if you, Ooh, if you, plug, if you, thank you. Thank you. Plugging. Little justice. One of the things I was thinking about, it's, it's how hard it is to capture loneliness on stage. I mean, the entire concept of stage film is a visual medium stage is an auditory medium we're going to hear it before we see it necessarily like that's why you you deal with a lot broader colors and on stage and a lot you know because it's it really is about the the ear first and then the visual the visual the nuance of the visual can kind of seep in whereas on, on film you know it really that that visual can be can tell you the entire story. But on stage with loneliness, you have an, this open space and it should be this thing that like, I would really love to see, and maybe maybe this is my next my next script or something, but like, I would love to capture uh, loneliness on stage. I just think that that's, that's a well, really- I mean, this, this stage is a lonely place though. It's if, with one person in the middle of a stage with a giant dark space around them and a spotlight, like that, that's a pretty, I feel like you can communicate a lot you just have to be trusting of your audience that they're going to pick up on it, right? And you you can't like try to broadcast and dialogue the what you're trying to get across. Like it's it'd be very personal to the space that you perform this thing in. Yeah. But I think even in like a black box theater, if you got really creative and you had a good a good script with a good arc, you know that that had a, a story that could carry. Um, and it'd probably be some, it'd probably be like a one man monologue. See, that's, show, I, was, but I think you can do it. So I, there was a Dennis O'Hare did a, an amazing one man show called, or one person show, I should say, cause women have performances as well called the Iliad, um, or an Iliad is what it was called. And it's literally the story of the Odyssey, um, and Odysseus's journey back home, but as, but, but told by like, they would have told it in the actual times by one storyteller. Um, and and very much captures kind of a modern spin on what those what it would have felt like to sit down with a storyteller and have him or her tell you this tale. Um, so you know it's it's not just like you know him acting as Odysseus. It's 
it's him really communicating with you and throwing all sorts of examples around and, and funny and but it's I mean it's very amazing it's a very athletic performance and script to read and performance to watch hmm. um, and I'd always the the idea that I always I'd always had that I might I might um I might play with because honestly and then the more I think about it I'm like that would actually be a great script to write during this time um, I always wanted to try writing like a, a version some sort of epic story told by one person, um, but told told to themselves during uh, Hurricane Katrina. Like they're trapped in an attic in New Orleans during this hurricane. And how, and like very much like, almost like a castaway on stage. Like mm-hmm. how do you amuse yourself when you're alone? Yeah. How do you keep that, that fire going in yourself when you're alone? And totally. like hearing the wind outside and knowing that there's water and the floorboards underneath, but you have to make this thing happen for yourself. You right. Know? I just, I'd, I'd watch that. Oh, I'd watch it too. I mean, I'd, I'd, watch that. I'd watch the, I'd honestly watch the movie version of that. I wouldn't, the movie would be a, I think you'd have to either do it as a short or like a really tight 90 minutes. 127 hours dude in Hurricane Katrina. In Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> but I think, I think you could do it. I think it could be a really fascinating story. I think so. A, a good, a good friend of, of mine who I want to bring on the show eventually he's he's great uh larry cedar oh the character actor larry cedar uh he's a phenomenal actor he's been working since uh, the 70s probably 70s or 80s he's been you know you'd recognize him yeah if if, if any of you are deadwood fans as i am he deadwood yes he's leon the the opium dealer on deadwood um so larry uh over the past couple years he stages he writes and stages one man shows based on literature. I love that. So he's done Dostoevsky's Notes from Underground. He did a compilation of George Orwell's novels and he does them all by himself, just costume changes and bare props and basically takes the narration and digests it as like uh you know, uh, an onstage narrator as the character. He like inhabits the character and tells the story um, but doesn't have the book, obviously. So he, he's like, how do you how do you tell this a book narration? Something being written down, talk to you. Like, how do you how do you broadcast the whole story? And then uh, I've shot and recorded a couple of them. They're really, I'm sure you can find them online somewhere. I think he's posted them. Um, it's it's fascinating watching watching story work for an hour and a half with just one person, <laughs> and the worlds you can build or not build um, just based on what you say and the, the movements that you make. It's, it's fascinating. No. And, and, and like, if you have an actor like a Larry Cedar or like, like a, like a Dennis O'Hare or anybody who's just, you know, I mean, people who really just know how to command the stage. Yeah. I mean, a one person show or even a one person movie, Robert Redford did that incredible, uh, movie. Um, where he, Oh yeah. Uh, all is lost. All is lost. And I mean, it was just him out there. I mean, and, and, and uh, no words really. I don't remember any words in all his life. And the, the director, J.C. Chandor, is, is phenomenally talented. Yes. I had a chance to meet him when his first movie, Margin Call, came out. I remember talking oh to him. Oh, my God, Margin down, Call. Down to earth, dude, and dude. all this stuff. But like somebody who just really understands tone. Margin Call is so good. So, and it's, I mean, he really is low-key. I mean, looking at that, looking at Margin Call, and what was the one that he just had on Netflix this past summer with, Um, it was like Oscar Isaac, Ben Affleck. It was like, like a back to back to old it was yeah film. it was it was a few it was a few years ago now was it oh my uh, god I think it was called a most violent year most, 2014 most violent year no well that okay no that was one but no he also had, oh he did triple frontier he did triple frontier that was 2019 oh yes, he did. i didn't know that was him yes he did was that good it was you know what it was i will say the cast is phenomenal the, the cast was phenomenal ben affleck like it was, it was again i think i really do think that ben affleck gets the short end of the stick because he really is 
a solid actor, especially when you put him in the right role. I think that I think there was some there there was just like some pacing things that got to me, but yeah. like tone, but again tonally it was like right on the mark, and the performances were great, and the tension was great. Um, really, just like a throwback to like those old school, you know, yeah. like you know, uh, movies with like you know guys on the heist. Um, bunch of commandos being you know speaking of recent auteurs and movies about isolation and loneliness uh in the complete opposite direction of something like all is lost that's very big and visual um have you seen uh ghost story no do i need to ghost story is a film by david lowry sarah has wanted me to see this for so long yes it's it's he so david lowry had had directed uh eight them body saints which was kind of like a like a cult indie hit and off of that, he got hired to – he went and somehow you go from Ain't Those Body Saints to Pete's Dragon. I love it. A Disney film. He like flew across the world to film Pete's Dragon in New Zealand or something. Um, and he got so kind of like exhausted from that. He had this idea for for a film called Ghost Story. Um, and all he wanted to do was do it to like – to just get over a giant Disney production, right? To just like with his friends go off and make a super low budget. The budget's like $100,000. Um, all the actors just kind of working on whatever. And it is, it's shot in one, one aspect ratio, you know, with like a 16 millimeter camera, uh, about a guy, you know, a couple and the guy dies in a car accident and gets stuck. You know, he's, he becomes a ghost, basically just a dude with a sheet over his head. And it's very like existential philosophical, you know, he, he gets stuck in the house as the woman, you know, she moves out and moves on with her life and he stays there and, you know, through the next people who move in and the house gets demolished and then it becomes a city in the future. And it like, and he just wanders and, and it's, it's haunting. It's so, it's so good. And it's not at all connected to Anthem Body Saints, right? Cause the same actors. I don't, I don't believe so. Okay. No, no, they were just his friends That's awesome. because they'd made it and they're like, Hey, let's, I have this idea. He didn't even have a script when they went to make it. He was kind of writing it as they went. Um, a lot of the dialogues just kind of improvised. It, it's very moody. It's not like a oh, let's sit down and be entertained by this. It's like no, let's sit down and let's sit down and watch this thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Rudy Mara eats an entire pie in one go, in one shot. It's pretty insane. I love that. I think that's. I mean, look again when you, you know, I think experimentation, especially in film, is something that can only yield. You know, oh my interesting God. results. At it's yielded bad things, but it, it also has yielded very good things. Very good things. So I'm I'm in. I'm in, I'm always in for some experiment. But you know, I think yeah, I think tone is a huge. If you're talking about movies that like, you know, are like lonely movies, tone is a huge part. And that's why when I'm when I'm thinking about the film that I chose today, tonally it is actually like it's it's. Oh, I'm so curious. Oh, it's. I think you. I mean, I think you will know it as soon as I start talking about. It. I know we always say that. We say that every time. But I really this is a, this is a film that like only in rewatching it did I realize how many of my favorite archetypes and scenarios come from this film, and I really think that it captures lone like that just that feeling of neutral and stuck and yeah. you know uh, really really well. Uh, you want to you want to dive into it? Yeah, let's dive into it. You you start this time. I'll start. I'll start. Okay, so my movie opens on a map, on a map of the known world, it's black and white, some music, some really triumphant studio music like we haven't heard in 70 years. And uh, then there's some narration just talking about uh, the state of things. We chose the same movie. Did we? <laughs> yeah. 
I know we did. I knew we did. It's, it really is. I can't believe it. It's the best. I mean, when you're thinking about those feelings, dude, it's the best movie. It's the best movie. And the and and the best part that I love is one thing. You know, you talk about loneliness. You are literally introduced to your hero maybe 15 minutes in. And before that, you're seeing all these people talk. I mean, so, you know, to continue the description, um, you you open on, you don't know if it's an island. I mean, you know it's a place, it's a neutral ground, what you hear. Oh, my God. We didn't choose the same movie. What? We didn't? (gasps) Oh. Flip. We did. Same same opening. Same opening, but different movie. Different movie. Interesting. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna describe I'm gonna continue to describe my movie. Do you know wow. do, you, do you know what my movie is though? Uh, keep going. I mean, you do. I know you do because everyone does. Um, so we open, like I said, uh, open on a map, and then go to some narration of you hearing about the world. The world is uh, on the brink of war, um, or in the midst of war, and there's one neutral ground, uh, kind of like a a limbo, where people who are trying to get out of this country. Um, can go uh, as they're awaiting their 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 ticket out, okay? And uh, you open on this town, and you hear that there's like somebody comes over a radio, and you're in like kind of a a soldier's place, and they're like, "Please be warned, two uh, German perpetrators are are out and about, uh, you know, trying to trying to do something." And you know, you follow them, and then you see these guys, you see, like, this, this, you know, one of the one of the police officers on the street, like, comes up to this couple, he's like, please be careful, there's somebody going around, and he's, you know, and then one of the guys that, like, he did talking about bolts, right, he runs off, and they, they runs the streets, they capture him, and then another couple is watching this guy being captured, like, oh my god, what is going on over there, and they're, like, two vacationers, and this guy's like, hey, listen, you gotta be real careful around here, there's a lot of crazy things going on. You don't know who to trust. You know what I mean? The couple's like, oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you, good man. Thank you. Thank you. And the man pats, pats the gentleman of the couple on the back. He's like, you're welcome. Don't even worry about it. He leaves. And then the gentleman, they're sitting at a, ca- a coffee table. The waiter comes over. He goes to the couple. Goes to uh, The man of the couple goes to pay his check. And he's oh, my God. My wallet's missing. Oh, stop him. Stop that thief. And they, they run after the thief. And you realize through all this, you are in a place called Casablanca. I'm old enough. Who do you think? I know there is gambling in there. There is no secret. You dare not keep me out of here. Yes, what's the trouble? Uh, these gentlemen... I have been in every gambling room between Honolulu and Berlin. And if you think I'm going to be kept out of a saloon like this, you're very much mistaken. Uh, uh, excuse me, please. Hello, Hello Audrey. Your cash is good at the bar. What? Do you know who I am? I do. You're lucky the bar's open to you. This is outrageous. I shall report it to the angry. Ah. Casablanca. La, 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 la. Um, it's been so long since I've seen so, that. So let me let me tell you. So me and Sarah watched it. So there was this used to be a couple years back. I mean, still in existence. Uh, Rooftop Cinema Club was in a ama- uh, this really cool thing uh, where you could watch it exactly like the title says. It's cinema on a rooftop. <laughs> and you watch it and like, they set up these giant screens and you put headphones on and they you could get like specialty seats where you could sit with your popcorn and and like it actually could be a really cool thing to do in us um, yeah. you know in these times um, you know but it's it's just a really great kind of thing you can watch the the movies with the sunset in the background and this was one of the ones that we that I took her to and she had never seen it she found it she, I think she found it a little boring and like by today's standards. It definitely is. Like, it's not, 
it's not a movie that's like gonna grab it's, it's funny like i wasn't even thinking about like you so rarely go for any movie before even like 1985 i know i was stretching <laughs> like, i was stretching <laughs> I'm not at all thinking like, oh, maybe it's maybe it's a classic film. Oh, oh no. yeah, no. Well, that's and that's nope. what. Well, and I realize like so many, you know, Rick as a character, Humphrey Bogart, the the late great Humphrey Bogart as Rick is, um, just you know he. I mean, watching him, you know, I'm in the middle of writing a new script right now, and like the biggest thing that I, you know, this was a commission, and and the biggest thing I wanted to add to the script was like grit. So my central character is literally like Dr. House. Like I just, I just stole, like, I just steal like that, that idea of somebody who's like just an asshole in the mid, but like has a good, like has a heart of gold, Mm -hmm. but like is, you know, is never going to let you know it. And that is that all to me started with the Humphrey Bogart and and his, his characterizations. Um, Maltese Falcon, it's very similar thing, but, but this one, that just the generational male yeah from the 1940s 19- like very like you know miso- misogynistic with a heart of gold kind of thing and it's and 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 like again you know lose the misogyny but keep but keep the asshole <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like i think i think that there's such a cool thing and and what i you know if you're talking about a movie that deals with loneliness right the, the kind of the whole point of this movie mm-hmm is regret like that's what so much of this movie is about is about the life that you could have led why did you come back to tell me why you ran out on me at the railway station yes well you can tell me now i'm reasonably sober i don't think i will rick and and these people are you know so he rick is kind of the ultimate you know dealer right like he is in charge of this of this of rick's bar in in this in this you know island or in this neutral ground he is friends with the nazis and, and not friends with nazis he's cool with the nazis he's cool with the common folk he's cool with the elite like everyone loves rick because rick doesn't take sides rick is like rick is just in the middle he's not going to hurt anyone he's just trying to make his money and surf his drinks and whatever you know what mm-hmm. I mean? He has a dark, dark past, and that dark past on one night comes back um, to haunt him. And um, this woman from his past needs help getting her new love uh, 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 in, uh, documents to get out of Casablanca. And Rick is flooded in this brilliant scene. He's flooded with memories of their relationship. Strange. I know so very little about you. I know very little about you. Just the fact that you had your teeth straightened. <laughs> but be serious, darling. You are in danger and you must leave Paris. No, 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 no. We must leave. Yes, of course, we. Now, the train for Marseille leaves at 5 o'clock. I'll pick you up at your hotel at 4.30. No. No, not at my hotel. I, I, I have things to do in the city before I leave. I'll meet you at the station. All right. At a quarter to five. Say, why don't we get married, Marseille? that's too far ahead to plan you know for the first 30 minutes of this film you've seen him as such like a dark and brooding individual and then you just see him in this like light and airy place and he's so happy to be with this woman and then we go back and boss yeah boss aren't you going to bed not right now ain't you planning on going to bed in the near future no you ever going to bed no well I ain't sleepy either Good, now have a drink. No, not me, boss. Oh, don't have a drink. Boss, let's get out of here. No, sir. I'm waiting for a lady. Please, boss, let's go. Ain't nothing but trouble for you here. Coming back, I know she's coming back. 
We'll take the car and drive all night. We'll get drunk. We'll go fishing and stay away until she's gone. Get up and go home, will you? No, sir. I'm staying right here. And it's just such a simple performance. Like, it, I think that's what makes it so beautiful is it really is just a man drowning himself in booze, lamenting this life. And so is, so is this what happens? So your wife goes out of town and you're, you're finally on your own for the first time and who knows how long. And your, your inclination is to drown yourself in booze and lament. Um, not exactly, but like also <laughs> not far off. Like I will say I had an experience last night where, uh, like I, one of my friends was going to have a rooftop party and like, <laughs> we were all going to go. I posted on post about this on my Instagram. Yes. <laughs> but like, I was like, cool. Like, let's go out. Like, I'm going to go out and like see some people. I made a chicken ratatouille. It's freaking delicious. I like got in a lift, got, went down to his friend's house found out this party was not to that night, but was in five nights from now. And I was like, Jesus Christ. And it just, the loneliness just struck in harder than ever. And I literally went to like my local artisan beer shop and like got three cans of like ah. mulberry sour and just drank. And I absolutely felt like Rick. <laughs> like, like I very much <laughs> felt, felt like Rick. And it's, you know, it's, it's just like this, it's this very strange, you know, you're, I think what Casablanca definitely ca captures for that character is when you build those walls around yourself, those defenses, right. That Rick has built up. Um, you are so alone with your thoughts yeah. and, and that is really the, the mind that's trapping you. And I think, I think the brilliance of Casablanca is like he, by the end, he gains a friend like this, the shifty, the shifty, uh, it's he, I forget if he's French, but the police officer who, um, Mm -hmm. It's always, you know, who, who's like kind of his confidant, but also his greatest enemy, like becomes kind of his friend. Like, you know what I mean? They're both stuck on this, on this terrible place in this terrible place together as his, as his love flies off. But I, th I, I, so I think it's, I think that by the end of it, he's able to come to terms with where he's at and where she needs to be and doing the right thing, you know, and that it's a very, it's a very right. bittersweet ending. Um, but it really, yeah, especially for right now. Yeah, there, there's like an ache to it, right? Yeah. It's like an aching or a longing. Absolutely an ache. The feeling of it. And I, I love the setting of Casablanca in terms of what it is like. And, and in talking about translating things to stage, like it has a very, it has a very stagey feel, this, this kind of way station, right? Between two places. It's such a ripe playground for things like people trying to get through. And it's, it's kind of this, this medium space oh, yeah. pur purgatory between places in the midst of this giant war. Um, it's just so, is so ripe. Like you don't really need to do much with it for it to feel a certain way. No. And I mean, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I think it actually is based on a play. I'm pretty sure that it's everybody comes to Rick's. It was I don't know if it was ever produced, but I think it was, it was definitely based on a play. Interesting. It makes sense. And it, yeah, it makes complete sense because, and I, and I love, I mean, I, I love one's one location, you know, like things that like center around a central location. I love mm -hmm. stories like that. I think, I mean, yes, it's very, it's a very theatrical conceit because yeah. in theater you have one unit set and it's the, all of a sudden the cheapest play to produce in the world. But it's also just that, you know, I think when you have, when the setting is just one thing, what do you focus on? But the characters yeah. and, and Casablanca right. is full of hugely memorable characters on both, you know, both the villainous side and the heroic side, all the people who are trying to get free, you know, they just break your heart. There's that one moment when they stand up and they sing 
their national anthem and, and, you know, and it's just, and you're just watching these people just stand in defiance of the Nazi regime. And you're like, yeah. hell yeah, like go for it. Yeah, man. So yeah, it, it was, it was truly, Casablanca. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's one of those movies. It's like, you know, all the famous scenes you played against Sam and frankly, my dear, I don't give it all that kind of stuff. Well, that's just because you can't, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn is a uh, gone with the wind. That's Frank. No, frankly, Miss Scarlet. I don't give a damn. Wait, what's the, um, this is, uh, here's looking at you. What's the one here's, at the end? Here's looking at you. Here's looking kid. at you, kid. And I said I would never leave you. And you never will. But I've got a job to do, too. Where I'm going, you can't follow. What I've got to do, you can't be any part of. Hilda, I'm no good at being noble, but it doesn't take much to see that the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Someday you'll understand that. Now, no. no. Is looking at you, kid. Yeah, yeah. One of those. One of those things. <laughs> Did you See, not? This, this shows my. <laughs> you gotta watch this again, bro. You gotta watch uh, it. The end. She's okay. Yeah, I really do. I really. I mean, <laughs> so you go through like I, I feel like I've watched all the Citizen Kane. I've probably seen twice, oh, but yeah. all the other classics I've seen once. <laughs> where like I don't. Yeah, I get it. Um, <laughs> like, I get but it. I, I never. I never have the. You know, because in in film school you're you're looking at the individual scenes yep. the like still frames the like the, you're reading the scripts and all this stuff but like you never go watch them for fun <laughs> you oh, never, no, like no 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 um, not at all except in this case uh that's an interesting perspective I'm, on on Casablanca also I'm on the wikipedia page right now I'm I am shocked that Peter Lorre was not a first build actor for this movie Peter Lorre oh my god he, I love Peter Lorre is so much so good Talking about character actors. Oh my god, he's he's the original. He's the character guy. actor. He is in one of my favorite. So he, I, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Here's Tarantino again. We brought him up. We did it. There he is. Ding 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 ding. ding, ding, ding. Um, Quentin Tarantino. His entry into the Four Rooms anthology film um, was yeah. called The Man from Hollywood, which was based on The Man from the South uh, by Roald Dahl, short story by Roald Dahl. And in the, I think it's like a Twilight Zone episode based on that short story. Peter Lorre plays the guy who is oh, cutting off the fingers and it's, he is so creepy and so good. And it's the same thing. Like he's just such a weird, interesting texture. And you're just like, who, who are you? Eyes. Yeah. Like, and I, I remember, uh, cause the, the genie does the imitation in yes, Aladdin yes, of yes. him was my first introduction to like him as a, and, and I think Vincent Price has the same kind of thing. Oh, yeah, Vincent. It's like that from that era, just like the character, the real characters from that that era. Yeah, people who are literally there to fill out your film and, and give it yeah. like that that weird feel. Right. Um, you know. Yes. Yes. And it's I mean also very indicative of the time when like, you know, a a, a kind of a, a big eyed foreigner is like your ultimate villain. I'm sure that Peter Laurie has played one of every single race oh, in yeah. the film. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. Kind <laughs> I'm of ridiculous. sure. Um yeah. But yeah, man. But yeah, that's my that's my pick is is good. Cool. Cool. Yeah, no, I I like that. I like that a lot. It's interesting because my pick, as I think about it, thematically, these films are very, very similar. We chose them for for the same reasons. Okay. Um, they could not be more different, but they are a, a main character in, in one location uh, dealing with themselves. <clears throat> You'll know it. It'll throw you back. We open on the world <laughs> and a narrator, uh, of course. Yeah. As you say, uh, this time it's talking about, it's a newscast, it's an advertisement, it's a promotion. We're flashing through pictures of climate change, right? Gas being leaked into the atmosphere, ocean rising, cities, you know, using electricity, yeah, what yeah, cities yeah. tend to do. 
Uh, and then they're talking about the solution, but we figured out how the solution. And we cut to yep. grass in the desert, and we cut to children laughing on a playground, and um, and then we finally cut to the moon. I knew it. I love this movie. The promotion ends. We go up to the moon where one man, there's one man, Sam Bell, uh, who works on a space station by himself um, on the moon, basically just managing the helium harvesters. Yeah, the film is moon. <laughs> Rudy, have you heard anything new about anyone fixing lunar sap? No, Sam. What I understand is it's fairly low on the company's priority list right now. Tell them to sort that out. You know what I'm talking about? That's not, I've only got two weeks, but it's not fair to whatever's coming up here next. I will, Sam. Do you want me to finish cutting your hair later? Nah, come on, let's finish this. I feel similar about Kevin Spacey's performance as Gertie in Moon that I do about Alan Rickman's performance in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where you know, when you have a voiceover like this and you're never going to be seen, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like you, you don't, you know, it, it can very easily, it could very easily become, wrote. like as much as I love Paul Bettany as Vision in, in the Marvel movies, him as Jarvis, like, right. great. I mean, it's fine. It's fine, but it's not anything memorable. But like, oh, yeah. when you have, and this is, I was going to ask you, you know, watching this now with everything that we, that's come out about Kevin Spacey. Yes, there are several things watching it now. So Moon is a film. It came out in 2009. The director uh, is Duncan Jones. It was his first feature. Um, he is better known as as uh, Ziggy Bowie, <laughs> Zoe Bowie, uh, David Bowie's son. There you go. Just for some background, stars Sam Rockwell. He later finds out in the film he's on the moon by himself. Uh, he gets into an accident and wakes up back at the base, then goes and finds himself in the rover where he had the accident. Turns out they're all clones being kept to operate the base, and then they basically just get replaced one after the other, and he figures this out and tries to get off the station. When it came out in 2009, where this was like junior year of college or whatever, it, conceptually, right, there hadn't been a movie like this in a very long time. No. Um, and And you read any interview about it, and it's very, very directly related to Alien and to Outland, the Sean Connery movie, um, and, and all these like science fiction epics that are, are heady in their philosophy, yep. <laughs> right? And at the time, I thought, okay, like this is deep. This is good filmmaking. <laughs> this is solid. Like uh, this is interesting. This is what more people should be doing is attempting to this. You know, this is the, a great performance, which it is. All of these things, I, I kind of elevated it in my mind. Yep. It's interesting watching it now, the perspective I have on it, how much it's changed. And that has has not even that much to do with Kevin Spacey, who plays the the AI, uh, his AI friend who, you know, the computer who rolls around the space station and, and everything we've learned about Kevin Spacey recently. Like, yeah, it's, it's weird, but the character is super, super flat. Uh, yeah. They hired Kevin Spacey after they'd already like shot the movie basically and they showed him it and he was like, oh yeah, sure, I'll do it. The budget was super low. And so it, it didn't really bother me yeah. hearing him there. What bothered me is when you stop and think about how 
much ripe potential there is in this scenario for character, for story, for exploration, how little they do with it. Mm. Like it's literally the whole movie, the, the, the whole movie banks on you being surprised by finding out he's a clone mm. and then just being in, invested enough at that point to follow these characters to the conclusion. And it doesn't take that. Like I would love to see this movie and I think it would really, really translate to stage. This is a movie about a guy who is all alone and is forced to confront himself. Yes. Like it doesn't get much better than this, like on, on a space station straight out of alien. Yes. Like, this is the perfect environment for fantastic thematic visual character storytelling. Like this is a playground for people like me. And I watched it through again this morning and I'm, I was disappointed in how little it did with what it had. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, you know, but it was, I remember even watching like, and again, this is not a, this is not a put down of it because it is. There's there's so many moments in the film that are lovely, but even watching it when we when we used to watch it um, back you know back in school, like I'll put it like this: there will be blood. As much as it is a film made by a filmmaker who loves making films for film people, it's also a movie that has tremendous weight and. And like depth. and depth, yeah. Moon does not quite sit with me in the same way. Moon does not have yeah. the depth. It doesn't have the depth. Moon, Moon has style over substance, and it's pretty limited in style. And granted, <laughs> and what I will say is, when you put Sam Rockwell at the center of your film, do you know what I mean? Like that is a man. If there was ever an actor who could carry a ninety-five minute movie of this context, it's Sam Rockwell. Did you find your secret room. Just put that anywhere. Oh, that's a good idea. That's where, that's where, that, that's where I keep my leprechauns. Get out of the way. What? Why? I want to look underneath that model. You're not touching this model. Get the fuck out of the way. Listen, why don't you relax, okay? Why don't you take a pill, bake a cake, go read Are the you, encyclopedia. You're a tough guy now? What, are you gonna stab me? No, I'm a peaceful warrior. I'm, I'm a lover, I'm not a fighter. Hey, I, I want to look just, underneath there. Put the knife down. No, I'm not going to give you the knife. What? Just get out of the way. I'm, Take it easy. Just go with the knife. Don't ever tell me what to do. At the time, there hadn't, like, the fact that it was Sam Rockwell acting against it, like a whole movie with one actor being split in two, which has been, you know, beaten to death by this point. Yeah. Um, at, at the time was was something to take note oh, of. Oh, yeah. And, and, it, and it gave Duncan Jones a whole career, and, you know, this film. And, 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 and it was, you know, it's you talk about indie films. Like, this was... You know, Sam Rockwell had not, you know, yes, he'd had many, many parts, but like we didn't know him as the Sam Rockwell that we know today yet. Do you know what I mean? We, right. we knew like we knew him as this as theater Sam Rockwell from Labyrinth, Labyrinth Theater Company. We knew him as like New York stage Sam Rockwell, but it wasn't like this. And so so this was definitely like ooh, your favorite actor, your favorite indie sci-fi. And I think it's the style that I'm talking about, which is why I chose it. It's what because in my head I'm thinking okay like if I'm by myself and I'm thinking by myself and I just kind of want like a meditative slow movie about a guy you know with with good music 
And, you know, it's not going to be challenging. I'll watch it all the way through. Cause you know, if your wife's gone, she's also probably texting you at the same time. So you don't want to have to like engage too hard. Yeah. This one was wife approved. Wife? <laughs> she said I was approved. wife approved, which even I, I, I told her this story. Um, cause you can't do any, once you, once you're married, uh, there is no more just you, no. right? Any decision yeah, you I mean, make, anything you do, there's, there's no more just you. There's a story about James Cameron when he was doing, um, his trip to the bottom of the Mariana trench yep. and making a film about it and all that. He wanted to be the first person down to the deepest part of the ocean. And he did it. He was in his submersible and they lowered him further than anybody's ever been before. And he touched the bottom of the lowest part of the ocean uh, and got a phone call from his wife. <laughs> and and so, so look at that. Let that be a lesson that you can be further away than anyone's ever been from humanity. And, and she'll find you. She'll find you because that's, that is the deal that you made. That's the deal. That's the problem. And, and it's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. Uh-huh. Listen, I also, let's, can we just at some point, not even now, just break down the psychology of James Cameron wanting to go to the bottom of the Marianas Trench? I, just James Cameron and water just, in general. Just James Cameron in general. <laughs> I just want to know. I just, I, the, yeah. the best behind the scenes feature that there is out there is like a three hour look at the making of The Abyss. I was about, oh, if well. You if you haven't watched it, please go watch it. I'm sure it's on YouTube and the quality is terrible, but it is, this man is obsessed with, with the ocean. He got Titanic made. Uh, the reason he says he wanted to make Titanic was because the studio would pay for him to dive no, to the Titanic. Let's be clear. He is Bill Paxton's character in he Titanic. And, Absolutely. And, and, and that whole idea of like, I never got it, never let it in. He still didn't let it in. Number he one. Still, he still has let nothing in. Number two. As Avatar 2 comes out after 15 years. 15 years. And my proof, <laughs> my further proof of this is another documentary. If you go on Disney Plus, there's the making of Titanic. It's like a National Geographic, like it's both the making of the movie Titanic and like revisiting the Titanic, you know, uh, however many years after it would, the movie was made. And you literally, this is a documentary that, that was EP'd by James Cameron at the end of, or I'd say the, probably the last quarter of which is interspersed with like the ancestors of survivors of the Titanic coming forward to Mr. Cameron and saying, we just want to thank you for your work about keeping our story alive. This is a, a, a movie that he's This is built. a humble man. Uh, this is a humble, <laughs> humble man. Have, have, you, have you watched the, the Kevin Hart documentary he made about himself? I refuse. There's a Kevin Hart. Kev, Kevin Hart, the comedian, made a documentary about himself with his company, his own camera team, uh, a feature-length documentary. You know, and, and he was publicizing it like, get ready. Like, this is my story, raw and uncut and all this stuff. And- he has controversy, right? Things that he said and sure, he had to step down sure. from the Oscars and all this stuff. Uh, he made some tweets. Um, you'd think, okay, this is going to be like, basically like an explanation for that, right? This movie, if you liked him before or had no thoughts about him before, you will walk away from this documentary hating this man. Wow. I have not been able to stomach a Kevin Hart anything since I watched his documentary that he made about himself. Because it basically it's it's a, a non apology for every single thing and just shows you how he probably did mean all those things. Like you, you, he's pretty surface about who he is, right? You can't really hide uh, in that kind of like you know raw behind the scenes stuff. He's not acting; he's just being himself. And you see, oh, this this guy's full of himself, 
he th- you know, he's a complete narcissist and he absolutely believes the things that he says. Well, and see, he here, here's what I question though. And this is, this is something for us to, as, as our careers continue, you know, not to say that we will ever get to Kevin Hart level or any of these people's level, but is that something, you know, I think about the celebrities that like, I really love and like look up to, and they are people who seem to be able to maintain what beyond a performative uh, chill a just a sense of like understanding that like the world does not revolve around them and like and like because like here's what i will say as much as like if you guys follow the rock on instagram as much as this man is insane what i what i also will point out is that the rock actually makes a makes a huge point of like making a platform for Amer- like american people and giving back and like He's he's genuine. He's genuine. He's a genuine human, and you and you get the sense that when the cameras stop rolling, he's still the same person that was there when they were. Yeah, and rolling. and like it's all a manipulation, right? Because at that, when you're that big, you are truly, and especially now when like part of your business as that kind of celebrity seems to be making your life into your art, like your right. your brand is your art. Yeah. So like people want there's there is. There's the there's like the what you do on screen, and then there's the the life that you show people that you have, and there's there's what there's what's actually going on that that we shouldn't get to know about because that's your actual life, right? But even right. in the life that he shows us, I'm just like, you know what? Like you, you're, there's a lot going on with you, Mr. Dwayne Johnson, but like you also you seem like you're a chill dude, like you actually do, and like and you can tell that about a person. And anybody here's I guess all I'm saying is this, I have no judgment on Kevin Hart. I think he's funny as hell, but I, no matter how big I get, Alex, the day that I decide to make a documentary about myself is the day when I want you to personally come and put me down and you have my full permission. Yes, sir. You've, you've been waiting for those words. See that. And that, and that's his thing is like, because you know, he's sitting in a PR meeting be like, okay, like what can we do? And the meetings are in the documentary, right? With his team. Like what can our company do with this brand to enhance it? And like, oh, we every you know every every great artist has a documentary that they that has been made about them. No, like, they we don't. should tell people our story. It's like yeah, these people, if they if they do, they did not make it themselves. <laughs> no, and like I will say, it's really I think it's really cool that like there is a behind the curtain so that you can understand how manufactured. It but it's not is. behind the curtain if he is the one with the curtain. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> I would agree with that. Like, <laughs> I would agree with that. He's just showing you more stage behind his curtain. Yes, like, yes, yes. And failing to do so, like the stuff he does let in, you know, he like there's like footage of him like berating his friends on a plane because he gets drunk and like yells at his friend for like, he's like, I pay for everything and you don't have any respect, whatever, like getting mad at his friend for for kind of mooching off him, even though that's the arrangement, right? Yeah. Um, and then it went, oh, I was really sorry I did that. <laughs> but see, that's why that's part of the reason why, like, as much as I love The Last Dance, I couldn't fully get behind it. Because yeah. it was such a, like, Jordan, the first shot is literally Jordan sitting in his, like, 20-foot windowed living room. Oh, yeah. You know, and, like, just smoking a cigar and, like, when I reflect upon my life. And it's like, Jesus freaking Christ, Forrest. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you know, I like the last dance, not because I don't think it, it told me anything. It was just like the story the of the story team, is, which I only yeah. knew bits and pieces of, I, you know, I didn't think it was, it was great at breaking down who these guys were. Cause it doesn't really matter. No, no. You know, I think, I think they're all pretty public in their, you know, who they are. Yeah. Um, but it was, it, but in terms of like documentary storytelling and use of, I mean, whoever, whatever team they had finding, 
these clips and yeah. these pictures and the oh my god. But I just you know it's more. it's so funny that we talk about these movies you know from a from a even even Moon which is from two thousand nine you know which is now a bygone era. Um, it's so funny how how celebrity has changed and in the time mm-hmm. you know Humphrey Bogart. You know, like part of the mystique of the movie stars of the '40s was you didn't know too much about their life. Do you mean like you like you you only got glimpses, and so you would have like you'd be like, oh man, I I want to live like like you know uh, Howard Hughes because he's always with you know blah 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 going to these parties, and that's how you'd see him. You would never see the fact that this man was you know crippled by anxiety and all this stuff, um, but now. All of that stuff, you, there's so much that you actually ha- not have to make public, but like can choose to make public that will boost your your status in the world. And you, in again, like this kind of performative public thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, back then too, you had, you know, I'm sure tabloid manipulation was a thing, yeah. right? Like oh, yeah. placing celebrities at certain, it was just more of a, a craft that required a team of like people who knew what they were doing to try to build the public, you know. It's basically just convincing people of your life. So social media has taken that and, and given that power to basically everybody. Everybody. But um but like yeah, as a celebrity, it's it's crazy. A whole other game. It's a whole yeah. other game. But you know, I think I think you know you know what Rick would say to that? What's that? He'd say uh, Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. No, Alec. That's not well, you know what? Sure. That's what Rick would yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what Rick would say. Frankly, my dears, I don't give a damn. You know, he would be quoting a horribly racist movie <sighs> from 10 years i gotta ago. go back to film school yeah you really some some actor from that was still alive from gone with the wind just died somebody was still alive who was in that movie seriously was it a, was yeah. a child in that let movie me, let me just google yeah it. google it up because uh yeah it must have been one had of the to child be, actors. yeah it has to be a child um because um, good lord olivia de havilland last remaining gone with the wind actor who played melanie wilkes olivia? dies at 104 wow good for you no she's she's like a young woman <gasps> she looks to be maybe somewhere between 14 to 17 incredible in gone with the wind incredible. 104 dude what a life speed godspeed what a life i that's i think but like if you've lived over a century you are an automatic hero oh you got it you know i mean you did it you did the thing so i mean good for you all right well so uh sarah when's she coming back to you how long you got to endure this how many classic movies you're gonna have to watch so many so many i mean i'm theoretically i'm going out there you know um september 1st so that will be what four or five weeks from now but uh we will see we'll see what happens but uh you know it's 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 crazy times, but these movies, as crazy always, time. get us through. Yes. So yes, uh, tweet at us. Get get us with your with your movie picks for. It, it's okay if you don't have a wife or a husband. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, this can be you know use your imagination. Yeah, use your use your use that brain power. You know, get in there. Use it. But uh, as always, always a pleasure, my friends. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org, because only together we rise.